Okay. So just, Father, thank you for your goodness to us. And as Kenny has shared, Lord, just thank you that you are here and you reveal yourself in so many different ways, whether it be through nature, the change of seasons, or right here, right now. So God, I just pray you would open our hearts to hear what you have to say to us today and that we will be changed. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Karen. All right, so I'm going to lapel. We're good? So we've been going through a series, uh, and this is my first sermon back from sabbatical. The last time I spoke was Easter Sunday, uh, April 5th. And I'm, I think it's appropriate that I'm not starting a new series today. I think it's appropriate that I'm finishing one. Uh, because I think it honors the amazing gifts that we've had over the last few months who've just taught in succession. We've had people from outside the church, from the vineyard, even from outside the vineyard in the body of Christ, uh, as well as incredible teachers here. And I just, I, Kathleen and I have just been so fed as we've caught up on the podcasts. And there's been such a sense, sometimes you don't feel it or sense it when you're kind of right up, your nose is up to it, but there's been such a sense of the Holy Spirit just orchestrating. You guys have had a feast. Uh, and we have two. And we've been going through a three-book series on, uh, we've called it The Good and Beautiful Year, and it's based on a, 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 a book series by James Smith, a dis, kind of a, a, a disciple of Dallas Willard and, and Richard Foster. And the first series was called The Good and Beautiful Life, or Good and Be- Beautiful God. And the, then, then in the end of June, we started The Good and Beautiful Life, and that's been a series uh, based on Christian character, scripturally based on the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And, and we're going to continue today. Uh, this is Jesus' most famous sermon. In many ways, it's his Magna Carta of the kingdom. It's like his summary of what he was all about in those chapters of Matthew, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. I memorized it when I first became a Christian as a teenager. Wonderful. So our text today is his conclusion, and his conclusion reminds me of a fireworks show when you're getting to the end. Have you ever seen a fireworks show? Did you see any this summer? Any of you see those? What what happens when they get near the end? It just starts going ballistic, doesn't it? It's like bam, 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 you know, and the bangs are louder and more frequent, and then, you know, it just gets, and you just go, okay, the end's coming, you know. And, and, and this is kind of how Jesus ends his Sermon on the Mount. It's just like, bam, bam, bam. It's like he's just underlining exclamation point, and he just sends one metaphor after another. And they're all very striking. And there's, a, there's, a, there's an element of urgency about these last metaphors that he gives in his Sermon on the Mount. But they're kind of four or five ways of saying the same thing. He says one thing. In our, in our text. So let's look at it. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. 
By their fruits, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, drive out demons. And in your name, perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, The streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Word of the Lord. As most of you will know, we have a relationship with a community in the north called Lower Post, Lower Post First Nations. Francis Carlick here was our first contact with Lower Post, and through her we received an invitation that's been a wonderful 20-year relationship. And we... We like to go every year. Didn't go yet this year. Still hoping to go. But the door is open. Thanks, Francis. And uh, and Monica's up there right now. But we often drive, and it's a long ways. And so it takes several days, which means we have to camp. I mean, tenting, camping, real camping, not this motorhome. I mean, real camping. And one of the things I've really appreciated, and in the last few years it's been Kenny, is when when somebody on our team gets up before everybody else, and when we all wake up, there's this roaring fire. And we wake up, and it's so beautiful. We get our coffee, and we're warm, and God's good. And in ancient days, our author tells us that the father and the mother of the household Their job was to get up before everybody else and get the fire going because they depended on it for light and heat. And Throughout the day, they would stoke that fire and and fuel it. And fire is a frequently used metaphor for our relationship with God, and, and we see it in Scripture. God came to Moses in that burning bush, the bush that was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. And later he led them by a pillar of fire by night. And who, who of us can forget that great contest of Baal? 
the prophets of Baal and Elijah, when Elijah declared, the God who answers by fire, he's God. Remember in the Old Testament that whenever God honored a sacrifice, often it was with fire. And even in the New Covenant, John the Baptist predicted the coming one and he said, I baptize you with water, but he who comes after me, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in the vineyard we hear about that a lot, and with fire, baptized in fire. Where there's smoke, there's fire. He makes his ministers flames of fire. So this metaphor of fire, growing up as a Pentecostal preacher's kid, was really important to me. And we often use the term, so-and-so is on fire. And it was a term to describe, you know, when we think about it, images come into our mind, but it was a picture of somebody that was really passionate for God and, and, and devoted and, 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 and quite active, probably. But it wasn't just what they did, it was how they did it. There was a, 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 an obvious flame of love for Christ. Now, I don't know if any of our preteens are, are, are left here this morning, but uh, Jacob, yay! And uh, I wanted to address any preteens that are here because this takes me back to my preteens. When I was a preteen, I want you to know I was on fire for God. Uh, from about Sunday night, 8 o'clock, till Monday noon the next day. <laughs> and uh, you say, well, what was that about? Well, what happened was, as a Pentecostal preacher's kid, of course, you have to go to church. No, 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 sorry, Mom and Dad, they listen to the podcast. I got to go to church. <laughs> and uh, we'd go Sunday morning for Sunday school, then we'd have morning worship. We'd go home, have the Pentecostal nap, you know, the same as the Mennonite nap and the Baptist nap. We'd go home and have the Pentecostal nap, and then we'd come back to church for revival night. It was every Sunday, revival service. And we'd have good preaching and good singing, and I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit would move, and the power, and often that we saw miracles, and, 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 and at the end of the service, I'd come forward and repent and cry and give my life to God and I'd leave on fire. And it'd last overnight till the next day when you know, school came along and homework and friends and that grumpy teacher because my homework wasn't done. And then there was hockey practice and basketball practice. And, you know, as a, as a preteen, I was starting to listen to this funny music called rock and roll that had just come along. And uh, Simon and Garfunkel and the Beatles. And I had this covert thing going on in my bedroom. Shit. Yeah. And that, of course, I had novels, Hardy Boys and Tarzan. And Anybody read Tarzan? Yeah. And then there was this crush I had in grade six. And so whenever I had any spare time, I had to think about her, right? So we had this other term when I was, a, when I was growing up. It was on fire. There's another term called backsliding. Anybody ever heard of backsliding? So I was on fire and I was backsliding every week. And, and it's this picture of being on this water slide. How many have been on a water slide and you go down backwards? Or it's Justin Trudeau walking up that down elevator, to, you know, describing the Harper government. It's, it's kind of the sense that you're just not getting ahead, right? And... 
I was thoroughly backslidden by Monday night when I sat down to watch the Partridge family on TV. <laughs> Those were the days, my friend. So, kind of around the time of the dinosaurs, I know, but... There we go. So I would dare say that most of us, I know this is a bit of a dramatic telling, but the most of us, even though this, this uh, maybe didn't quite happen the same way, can probably identify with this story in, in some way, shape, or form. I raise this because our topic today is living in the kingdom day by day, to which I would reply, most of us, our experience is living in the kingdom week by week, maybe, in sporadic, you know, one little dabble do you at home group, and on again, off again. We all know what it's kind of to be up and down, and on again, off again, in our relationship with God. And times when we're really connecting with Him, and then other times where, God, where are you? And this, this whole thing is just a really bad idea. Now, most of us are familiar with that passage of Scripture where Jesus says, if you remain in me, and I kind of left you with that when I went on sabbatical. You remember that? That Scripture, abide in me. I call it biblical algebra. You ready for this? Biblical algebra. Abide equals fruit. No abiding, no fruit. (laughs) Abiding equals fruit. No abiding equals no fruit. Now, great, how do we do that? Well, first of all, what do we mean by fruitfulness? For the sake of convenience, I don't think it's stretching it too far to say that fruitfulness is the good and beautiful life. Not defined by the Kardashians or by Donald Trump, but by God. How many know there's a lot of ideas out there about what the good and beautiful life is? About success and money and good-looking boyfriend or girlfriend or... Both. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Where did that come from, Jesus? I'm hopelessly Pentecostal. Okay. Um, but, but we have this, this uh, idea that, but God says, no, you were designed. Think, think about this, Roland. Like, eternity past. That's what's behind us. Never started. Eternity future. Never ending. Okay? Now, think about space from this point on, infinity, every direction. Yet here you are, here I am, in this time, in this place. And you and I have been given a life. And God says, this life that I've given you is a gift. And you're the only one that can live it. Nobody else can live that life through. But guess what? You can't do it without me. It's impossible. Because I've wired you. I've designed you. You have a unique genetic code and personality and gift mix and story and history that only I, your creator, by walking in relationship with me, you can find it. So if the key's abiding, how the heck do you do it? How do we remain in him? How do we do that? Isn't that the the question of our life? Is we know that's the key, but how do we do it? Life's complicated. It's complex. We're challenged. 
And uh, I would like to just spend the rest of my time arguing that abiding requires some effort on our part. But whenever I say that word effort, all these bells go off, warning bells, especially in the evangelical mind, right? And why is that? Why is it that effort? Why do those bells go off? Well, it goes back to the Protestant Reformation, where at that time, the Catholic understanding of salvation no, it hadn't always been, and it wasn't true everywhere. Let's just say in Central Europe, it had, it had deteriorated a lot into this understanding of emphasizing our part in the equation. It was about what we do. And so there was all kinds of ladders and labyrinths and rules and hoops that we jumped through to, to, to get this spiritual status of union with God. And there was an Augustinian monk by the name of Martin Luther, who was in the middle of that. And the more he tried, the more miserable he became. And the farther from God he felt. And he was consumed with shame and consumed with guilt and consumed with sin, his own sin, and falling and getting up and falling and getting up. Almost to the point of despair. And at that point of the, the greatest darkness, this shaft of light came in, which said, but just shall live. Oh, it's good to be preaching again. <laughs> By faith. <laughs> Sorry. I kind of missed that. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the just shall live by faith. Right? And Martin Luther he came on this discovery. It wasn't, a, it wasn't something new. It was just a recovering of what was already there. Is that Christ has merited our salvation. It's his effort, his work, his sacrifice on the cross. We don't need to earn it. It is free. All we have to do is receive this free gift. This thing of union with God. God front loads it on our salvation. Says you've got it. Now you're mine. Let's walk together. And it was amazing. It, it, it just it had an explosive impact on, 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 on Europe. And the monasteries emptied out. People said, I get to get married. You know, all this kind of stuff happened. And, uh, and then, about 100 years later, it started to deteriorate into this, um, what, what Dallas Willard calls barcode faith. Barcode faith is where, you know, you have the barcode, you have the right barcode, and you get in. And so it was like, if I have the right beliefs, and if I say the right things, I'm a Christian, and it doesn't really matter how I live. And so then you had the German pietist movement that, in the Protestants that rose up, and the Catholic Reformation, wonderful spirituality on both sides. And what's really funny about the whole Reformation is they all stole each other's material. And we still do. And, and so... Two false narratives came out of that. Number one was the false narrative that somehow I have to earn, make God happy by my hoops. I jump through and the rules I keep so that I can, I can be blessed and know him. But the other false narrative is that it's just believing the right thing and saying the right thing and it doesn't matter how I live. And, and Jesus comes with an alternative narrative which is it's about relationship and 
Relationship, good relationship, requires work. Those of you that are married know that a good marriage requires work on the, on be, on the part of my wife. She needs to work at this. <laughs> but isn't that true? Like in mar- marriage counselors will tell you this, that the biggest problem with a lot of marriages is passivity on, on the part of at least one of the partners. Where, and I'm not talking about passivity where you go out and work and bring home the bacon. Or you, you might even help with the housework. And you might even help do the diapers and all that. You might work really hard, but there's still a passivity when it comes to the relationship. And that's where it starts to fall apart. It requires work. Requires thoughtfulness. It requires attentiveness. It requires making space for that weekly date. It's it's not being like that marriage counselor who got together with a couple and the, the wife said, He doesn't love me. He says, I love you. She said, You never tell me you love me. He said, Listen, when we got married, I told you I loved you. If it ever changes, I'll let you know. <laughs> Doesn't work. It's 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 love making through the week in everything you do, not just in in the intimacy, the sexual act, but in your whole life becomes love making. How you say hello when that person walks in the door, and how you say goodbye when they go. Cherishing them like it could be the very last time, right? That gift that you have for one another. It's, it's hard work. It's listening. It's, it's working things through. It's, it's shared experience. And it's body language. And so healthy relationships require hard work. And this is the kind of effort that Jesus is talking about when he talks about remaining in him, abiding in him. It means he loves us. He's, he's for us. And I love what David... Oh, I forgot to show you this. Ah! This was me in junior high when I was on a, I was backslidden at that point. (laughs) No, no, no. no. I don't know why I put that in there, but anyway, I'll never be forgiven. All right, let's get back to theology. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Rose. Uh, So, I love this verse that, that Smith brings up in this chapter, and, I, and, I, and it's often ministered to me. I have set the Lord. This is the kind of work that David talked about in his relationship with God. I have set the Lord continually before me. But get the, get the synergy here. There's synergy going on. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Did you get that? So there's something David's doing. But the Lord's at my right hand. I'm not in this alone. I, at four in the morning, I don't know why, my, I was wide, wide awake looking at the, the ceiling. And I, Isaiah 40 came to mind. And we often have the eagles lining, landing on our, our cross up here on the top of the roof. And often the eagle is a picture of a relationship with God. But it says those who, those who wait on the Lord or those who hope in the Lord or those who entwine their lives in the Lord 
will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. Now, do eagles, do they apply effort to flying? Of course they do. They'd be stuck on the ground if they didn't. But even when they begin to flap those wings, if there was no air, they'd never get up. So even at the very beginning, there's this sense of dependency. The air and the wind is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. And those, but once he's up there, uh, there's this sense of, of working with, sensing the, the drafts and the wind and, and, and moving with it. Otherwise, you go into a tailspin if he, if he tries too hard at that point. Right? And so there's this synergy where, as Paul said, you set your mind on things above. He's at my right hand. There's this synergy where, where, where the, the sum, um, where, where two, two people or two personalities, they come together and, the, and, the, and the, the result and the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And through the ages, people have found ways to set the Lord always before them. In my teens, uh, while I was struggling with this cycle I talked about earlier, I began to pattern my life. When I fully dedicated my life to Christ, I began to pattern my life after those who'd gone before me, including my own parents, who I observed had a devotional life. And so what that looks like today, in this day and age for me, and we're all unique, we're all different and, and have different personalities, but for me, on most days, not every day, but on most days, I'm up between 5 and 6 o'clock. And I start my day with silence, with journaling. I read some scripture. And then I go for a, a walk. And I talk with Jesus. And it was really fun this summer because both my grandkids this summer, Samuel 11... Annalise 9 observed that I do this and both requested to walk with me, to go on a prayer walk with me. And I, I can't tell you the joy it ha I had to be able to pass to, to, to the next generation this experience of, of walking in prayer, early morning prayer. But there's something I do before all of that. Can anybody guess what it is? Before I do any of that, well, I have to get up. That's Okay, that's a no-brainer, right? Okay. Go to the washroom. Go to the washroom, yeah, very important. Especially for orange juice, yeah, beverage is good. Before I do anything, I light a candle. And the reason I do that, listen very carefully. This is so, whatever works for you, but this is so important to me. You know what I do? I'm saying when I light that candle? Jesus you're here. That's the first thing. This candle represents my recognition that you are with me. Secondly, only in your light can I see light. I can listen and all I'm going to do is daydream about the hockey game if, if you don't come and be with me in my silence. As I journal, it's just going to be a diary. Well, then I did this, and then I that, did that. I, I'm going to have no self-awareness unless you shed your light. And as I read the scriptures, I know the Bible inside out. I've heard all the stories, but unless you speak to me, I won't hear. I need you to open my ears again. And as I pray, we don't know how to pray as we ought. 
that the Spirit of God is with us to teach us to pray. It doesn't mean we don't use the patterns of the Lord's Prayer in different ways, but they're like training wheels. They're like flapping our wings till we get in the wind and begin to soar. Right? And so I want to encourage us as a church that uh, this is one way of abiding. And, and through the ages, uh, people have discovered wisdom in how to stay with God through the day. Brother Lawrence t- talked about practicing the presence of God. There's a, a thing called the daily offices where people just stop for two minutes and they read a, a scripture or a devotional and then they move on. Before I go to bed every night, I'm reading Rob DeCoats. He's got a beautiful devotional. He's a local spiritual mentor, director in the city. I love, just love, I just get so fed. Just little, it's like half a page. And it's just so feeding. Uh, that just helps me set my mind before the Lord. And going back to my teenage years, when I began to have this devotional cycle, I noticed I stopped my backsliding. Yes, there were dry spells, but not cold spells. You know what the difference between... A, I, I just thought of this. Tell me what you think. The difference between a dry spell and a cold spell. A dry spell... Sorry, Kenny. I mean, I know, I know you like cold. But bear, work with me here. A dry spell is where I say, God, I love you, but where are you? You're gone. Right? A cold spell is where God says to me, Gordy, I love you, but where are you? You're gone. Like he did with Adam. And so, just to wrap this up, in our text, Jesus, in this fireworks display, he gives these four metaphors. And in four different ways, he says, make the effort because... These warnings come with the cost of non-discipleship. Enter through the narrow gate. It is hard. How many know it is hard? There is an effort required, but it's harder not to. As Smith said on the back of his book, I've never met a person whose goal was to ruin his or her life, and yet that happens when we don't enter the narrow gate. Watch out for false prophets. John Christendom said, heresy is not where someone preaches a false teaching out there somewhere, but it's Someone living in a moral life under the guise of virtue. And so often that happens when we don't have that abiding relationship with Christ. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of of heaven. How do we get into that perilous place where we're doing all the right things for all the wrong reasons? Is the issue is they had did all these wonderful things, but the work of God took the place of the God of the work and the relationship with God. That's why this sabbatical was so important for me, is I needed a period of months where it was just about me and God and not what I could do for him. It just it ministry is one of the most hazardous things for people. It's so hazardous. And, and God just renewed that. I don't think I ever lost it, but I, it, it was just renewed so beautifully and so wonderful. And again, I thank you for that. And finally, he says, make the effort because to make the effort does not guarantee that you'll be storm-free. Those of you that have seen me do weddings know that I, 
I say this to the couple in every wedding. I say to them, Jesus didn't promise there'd be no storms. What he promised is not that you're storm-free, but you're storm-proof. That the storm won't knock your life flat. So make the effort. So we're utterly dependent on Christ in order to live the good and beautiful life. But this requires a persistent effort on our part to remain in him, in vital relationship with him, with the confidence that he's ever-present and unceasingly devoted to us. You're not alone in this. This last week's been a special week, hasn't it? Woo! I've seen so many pictures like this on the internet, and this was probably my favorite. Sorry if I'm offending anybody, but this... This one, I just went, yeah. Isn't that, doesn't that just say it? So what does God do when you just make one step? You listen to what Gordy says about how he spends time, and you go, I'll never do that. Well, don't. Start with the next step. Start with grade one, and you know what your papa's going to do? He's going to go, that's my boy. That's my girl. Yeah. Right? He is more devoted to you. Think about this. He is more devoted to you than you could ever be. You say, yeah, but I've got that crush on Susie in grade six, and I keep losing my, my concentration. I keep forgetting about God, and then I come to church on Sunday, and I go, oh, my goodness, I forgot again. Did you know just coming together like you did today, when it was, more, it was easier for you to stay home and sleep in and watch TV or, or, or go to the park, and there's nothing wrong with those things in themselves, but it's hard to do this. But you're abiding. You're making the effort to stay in the vine, to hear the narrative, to be reminded of what story you're in. As we sing our songs and we tell our stories, as we hear the message of the word, as we have communion together, we are reminding ourselves of the story we're in. So congratulations. Maybe it's grade one for you, but your papa is so happy. The only other way that I can describe this is my grandson, Samuel. And uh, he's now, he just turned 11. He's almost the same age as Sophie. Born in the same summer. And uh, I, I, I've, he, he said something to me that I, I, it just really struck me. He said, Grandpa, I love, I love Vancouver. I feel like I belong in Vancouver. Now, you guys need to know that he's mostly lived in Switzerland his life. And now they recently moved to Calgary. I said, well, that's interesting. I said, so what is it about Vancouver? He says, well, it's not Vancouver, really. It's your house. <laughs> I said, oh, yeah. I said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, describe, you know, talk, talk to me more. He says, well, I don't know. He says, there's just something about when I walk in your house, I just feel I'm home. Now, he was born about, he, when he, in the first year of his life, he lived about six blocks away. And I used to have this weekly babysitting date with him. And uh, his mom would drop him off Monday afternoon about 3 o'clock. And he was really colicky and quite distressed as a little kid. And I remember I would sit on the couch and his little feet would, he'd be head face down on me and his little feet would come here and his chin would be right under here. Or his head would be right under my chin rather. And, and, and I would comfort him, and then he'd get the colic, and ah, he'd just scream. And so I'd pick him up, and I'd carry him. And we kind of had this rhythm of, ah, and then he'd get quiet and kind of chomp on that nookie, like that, you know. 
And it, was just, it just became like uh, a regular thing. And, and, and I've, you, you've already heard me say uh, to you what he repeated to me several times. I'd say, well, let's, let's, I, let, let's go out for a time out. I said, what you like to do? He says, doesn't matter, Grandpa, as long as I'm with you. Doesn't matter. So what's going on there? He doesn't remember those times when he was a, a, an infant in that pain, in that distress. He doesn't remember those times with me. I do, of course. But what was going on in his little spirit? He was picking up. Grandpa's here. And he's a source of comfort for me. He's with me. And I just had such a picture of that for so many of you today. That you, you're going through storms and you're going through stuff and you're going, where, where is God? Where is God? Or where was God when I was going through that? Through your life as you look back. And I want to say your papa has always been there. And when I look back through my teenage years and all that I went through, I realize those times that I thought I was backslidden, and I thought I was far from him, he was still there. He was with me. With that crush on that grade six girl and that, those Hardy Boy books and that rock and roll, he was right there. He was right there. He's never been away. That's the God we serve. So I feel like I want to pray for people today who are in a storm. I sense the Lord is saying, I didn't come to guarantee storm free, but storm proof. Stormproof. And let's just pray. Holy Spirit, would you just come right now? And the image that's just been so strong in my mind all week is the disciples in the storm on the boat. And the wind and the waves are blowing and they're just crying out, Lord, save us. We're going to die. We're going to die. And if you're in a storm right now, I want you to hear the word of the Lord to you. I want you to hear the word of the Lord to you right now. I'm on board. I haven't left your boat. I'm with you. And that's all you need. I've always been there. And the word of the Lord is peace be still. I speak to the waves. I speak to the wind in the name of Jesus. Be still. I bless you, my dear brothers and sisters, with stillness. The capacity to be still. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. If that's you and you're just kind of in a storm, would you stand right where you are? If that, I just want to bless you. Just want to lay hands on you. Just have the church be the church.
I just feel like we need to identify just some of our sisters and brothers that are, that are in storms. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. And if some of you that, that are not standing, if you feel comfortable with this, if you're used to this, just maybe look around and find somebody that's standing. And could you lay your, just gently lay your hand on them? Lord, would you come right now? Would, would you surround us with your love and your mercy? Would you speak to the storm, the wind and the waves? Would you give us the capacity of stillness? Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Just a, I feel just a, a gentle, you know what? I, I, I grew up, you know where I grew up? I've been talking to you a lot about my growing up years. You know what it was called? <laughs> it's called the peace country. And you know why it was called the peace country? Because there was a big river that flowed through it. You know what it was called? The Peace River. And you know what I feel right now? It's just like a heat coming right through my back towards all of you right now. It's called the Peace River. Just receive the Peace River. Receive the Peace River. In Jesus' name. Peace be still. I am on board. That's all you need. That's all you need. I'm here. You got me? It's all taken care of. Lord, we just say we can't do this without you. But you never intended us to. Would you come? Teach us your ways. I'm just going to ask Jerry to lead us in a song and just, just soak. Just soak in this peace for a minute. Don't, don't be in a hurry. Just, just let it come. Just let him rest on you. He loves you. He's for you. There's a song. This is not the song Jerry's going to sing, but the words to the song, Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. I'm just going to ask everybody to say that. I'll just say it one more time, and then I want you to repeat it with me. But speak to your soul. Remember where David spoke to his soul? He said, bless the Lord, O my soul. Speak to your soul. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Everybody say that. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Now say it to your soul. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. The Lord is on your side. Just come, Lord. Let peace come.
Once again, I look upon the crossway of your backwards Exalted to the highest place, King of the heavens, where one day I'll bow. But I marvel at this saving grace, I'm full of praise once again. Jesus Christ, I think upon your sacrifice, you became the food, out to death, many times, I marvel at this gift of life, I'm in that place once again, I'm in that place once again. Once again, I look upon the cross where you died. 